Lord, what great promises. Thank you for all you've done for us, and we ask that you would help us to stand firm in the promises you give us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Before I preach the sermon, I want to give you an update on the, the capital campaign. On Friday night, we got together some of our financial leaders and elders, elders who have worked on this for the last three years, for them to make their commitment to the ripple effect first. That's biblical. Leaders go first. And I'm very happy to say that that group of about 250 people has pledged to give $9.5 million to the ripple effect. You can definitely applaud that. That is a big praise Jesus for sure and a big way to go leaders. They have really led well. That is an astonishing number. And it's a very, very strong start. Now, some of you have been asking, have asked me, what happens if we go over the 14 million? I love the optimism. Don't you worry your little heads about that. We have a plan. Uh, the elders have voted that uh, the money, anything over 14 million, would be distributed in the same percentages as it is now. So 20% to the outer two circles, 80% to the building. And what it means is we can do more. We can help more kids in Africa. We can offer more services sooner at the Jubilee Reach Center, build a, a, even a larger facility for our kids that, than we're already going to build, which is already larger, and uh, provide for even more growth than we're uh, going to do uh, now if we go over. So don't worry, we can handle it if we go over 14 million. But we still do have 4.5 million just to get to the 14 million. And uh, this is a great start, but our experts have told us that 14 million is doable, but it's going to be a stretch. It's going to take everyone in the church participating, and that's still true. We're all still going to need to maximize our giving potential. But we are on the verge of a miracle, on the verge of having to make the experts rewrite their expertise, and uh, because our leaders have led so well. And I told them, as go the leaders, so will go the church. The church will follow their lead, and now it's our turn as the church to respond. And next week, we have the chance. We'll turn in our commitment cards that say what we're going to give over the next three years, over and above what we're already giving to the operating budget, because we need to keep that strong, uh, what we're going to give to touch the, these children's lives. And I just want to encourage you to come. It is going to be a fun service. Scott and I got through planning the service uh, this week. I'm so excited about this service. It's just going to be fun. Our choir, our kids' choirs are going to be singing. Uh, I think it's just going to be a great time afterwards. Uh, the sermon will be shorter, by the way, so that's a, definitely worth coming for. Um, Afterwards, we'll go up to Fellowship Hall and out on the patio. We'll have games, food, face painting. About 30 minutes after each service, we'll update you on kind of where the total is. And if you stick around or come back at 1230, we'll update you on the, the approximate total for the whole thing. So it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, let me pray again because I just think that, that we, God is on the move and, and we need to thank him for that. Lord, we do thank you. We know that this is all about you and we ask that you, would, you and you alone would get the glory for everything that happens in this campaign and, and in this church. And uh, Lord, I ask that you would open scriptures to us now to help us have your heart for people and for the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I was 10, I, I had a fascination with U.S. presidents. I read all about them. I had pictures of them pinned up at the top of my wall going all the way around my room. You know, some people have crown molding. I had presidents. I even had little presidential action figures, which I know sounds like a contradiction in terms, but 
true. You can get a Millard Fillmore action figure if you want. And I even wrote a book about presidents and put it in the school library. And here's my little president's book that I wrote when I was 10. I traced the pictures of the presidents, each one, out of the encyclopedia, then wrote a little brief blurb on each one, and then I rated them. Here's my rating for James Monroe. Like the picture? James Monroe was a medium president. I don't know what that means. Sort of like a steak, I guess. I had more to say about Zachary Taylor. Taylor relied on other people's opinions, so he made no great decisions alone. But we should give a lot of credit to his friends. I was passionate about presidents. And now I'm your pastor. Sort of freaks you out, doesn't it? I want to ask the question, what are you passionate about? And are they the same things that God is passionate about? One of the interesting things about the God revealed in Jesus is that he is not an emotionless being. He is passionate, as we heard in the scriptures that were read this morning. I think that's important to consider as we enter this last week of, of the Ripple Effect campaign. Our campaign to replace our aging education wing to provide safer, larger space for our kids purchase a building, and provide startup funds for Jubilee Reach where we'll meet some real needs in our community, build a street kids center in Rwanda and give clean water and a Christ-based education to children in southern Sudan. Three projects, all having to do with children and youth, all done in the name of Jesus. And I believe that those three projects sync up with three of God's greatest passions as revealed to us in Scripture. And the first is this, God is passionate that people know him. And Jesus is the ultimate expression of that passion. God himself coming in human form, willing to die for us so we could know how much he loves us. For God so loved the world that he did all of that so that we would know him. And each of those three circles of the campaign represent a way that we can help people know Jesus. Starting with the children and youth right here that come to our church. And this is so important, right? Because we see what our culture is doing to our kids. I mean, and it really tries to keep them from knowing Christ. Materialism that teaches us that happiness is always just one more purchase away. Or, or, or a culture where Christians are often mocked as being sort of flat-footed Philistines who can't think straight. Not to mention the pitfalls of our culture like drugs and alcohol and sexual promiscuity. It is fair to say that in our culture, every kid is an at-risk kid. Because in one way or another, our culture just wrecks youth. And in that kind of a culture, parents need help raising Christ-centered kids. All parents need help doing that. Even preachers. I think especially preachers' kids need help, right? I have a friend who's a pastor, and one day while he was preaching, he looked up at the balcony of his church, and he noticed his son standing in the balcony. And just to really bother his father, the son was holding a book over the edge of the balcony, like he was about to drop it on someone. So my poor friend had to spend the entire sermon shooting his son dirty looks, right, while trying to talk about the love of God. But, you know, don't you dare. I'll kill you. Okay, that story gives me chills. I can just picture it a couple of years from now, right? So we got to keep our Sunday school strong or one of my kids is going to drop a book on you, right? And our Sunday school is strong. A few months ago, our children's department brought together dozens of parents and their kids. They baked over 16,000 cookies to give to prisoners. One dad said the best part was being able to serve side by side as a family together. Now those kids got a hands-on lesson about Jesus that they're going to remember for a long time. 
They're also able to show who Jesus is to those prisoners. One of the prisoners wrote to us and said, you know, the cookies were great, but it was the bag with the child's drawings that put a lump in my throat. In prison, I made to feel insignificant every day. That bag touched me and made me feel human. By providing larger and safer space for our children, we'll be able to help more kids learn about Jesus. And not just the kids, but their parents too. 75% of the kids in our preschool come from families that do not go to this church, but who many of them start coming because of the preschool. While back, one of our preschool teachers was handing out Bibles to three- and four-year-olds. And as she handed a Bible to one little boy, she said, This book is stuffed full of God's love for you. And the little boy nodded very seriously and said, No wonder it's so heavy. I better take this home and show mom and dad so they know what's in it too. Each of those three circles of the campaign is a way that we can help people know Jesus in our church, in our community, all the way to Africa. In Sudan, where we'll be giving clean water and a Christ-based education to kids in a predominantly Muslim country. One of the challenges the church is going to face in the 21st century is the rise of Islam. And we as a church are on the forefront of making Christ known to Muslim people simply by serving them, not by forcing something on them, just serving them. And in both Rwanda and Sudan, we're working with international Christian organizations. They're both externally audited so we can track every dollar and make sure it goes to help the kids. God is passionate that we know him. Second thing that God is passionate about, God is passionate about the poor and the oppressed. Scripture mentions caring for the poor over 2,000 times. That's a lot of mentions. Sort of like God was real serious about it 2,000 times. And it's not that God loves poor people more than other people. It's just that his attention is drawn to them in a particular way because they're hurting. John Wesley was a famous Methodist preacher, and his mother had ten kids. God rest her soul. And she was once asked, which of your children do you love the most? And she said, the one that is sick until he's well, the one that's lost until he's found. See, if one of my kids is hurting, my attention is drawn to them in a particular way. And what I want for my other kids to do is is to help the one that's hurting. And that's what God is saying in that passage in Isaiah. That he longs to see his people caring for each other. One of the things we discovered by doing work at Stevenson is, is that there's a lot of need in our community. Families who are working all day long at minimum wage jobs, a lot of times don't even have furniture in their apartment. A lot of times don't have the skills or the time or the language to help their kids succeed in school. These are hard-working families. And they are making good decisions. And they are trying their best to get out of poverty. But they need some help. And yeah, there are services in our community already. But every city official we've talked to said not nearly enough. And really not enough done in the name of Jesus. Jubilee Reach will be offering things like tutoring and after-school programs, job training, things to lift families out of poverty, all in the name of Jesus. And in Rwanda, the Street Kids Center will be a place where kids who otherwise might have died can come, live for a year, get job skills so they can support themselves. It is a hand up, not a handout. And when we do this, when we care for people who are hurting, the promise of the passage we just read is that God becomes real to us in a newer and deeper way. Now, we don't have to do these things to make God love us. God loves us no matter what we do. But when we care for others, we experience God in a deeper way. Which brings me to my last point. God is passionate that people know him. God is passionate about the poor and the oppressed. And finally, God is passionate about you. God is passionate that you would know Jesus. 
that you would become like Jesus, and that you would know the joy that only Jesus can bring. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The problem with that, though, is that we've got an enemy. And our enemy convinces us that the abundant life consists of getting everything we want when we want it. And the problem with that is that that can lead to some temporary happiness, but it never leads to lasting joy. There's a show on MTV called My Super Sweet 16. And it's about teenagers whose parents give them these elaborate 16th birthday parties. Some of them, the parties cost upwards of $200,000 just for the party. Right? And, you know, they, they hire some top-name bands and, you know, buy several cars. And the, the girls get several expensive dresses just for one night. But inevitably, some, something goes wrong. You know, the dress isn't the right style or the Mercedes is the wrong color. You know, tragic things like that. And they just dissolve into tears. That, that's what happens when we indulge our every desire. Our world shrinks down to me and mine. And when your world is small, everything in it seems big. And the tiniest things make us miserable. God is passionate that we live more abundant lives than that. And the way he does that is to call us out of ourselves and into that big world that he created. And that's what this campaign can do for us. It can get us out of ourselves and that gives us joy. You know, it's, it's probably true that every single one of us has a, a, one of those particular circles that we are more passionate about than the other. And that's cool. That's fine. God, God made us diverse people, and that's great that we all have our particular focus. But God loves the kids in all three of those circles. As I've asked you before, which of those kids does God love the most? Well, he loves them all. Maybe that's why God is the most joy-filled being in the universe, because his heart is that big. And the more our hearts are like God's, the more joy we're going to have. And since, as God says, where our treasure is, there our heart will also be, by putting some of our treasure in those three circles, our hearts will grow and maybe get bigger and bigger and become more like God's heart. And that's going to give us a lot of joy. I was talking with a woman from our church a few weeks ago, and she told me a story about how two years ago she was having Thanksgiving dinner with her family, and her sister-in-law is a principal over near Yakima, and 97% of her students are below the poverty level. She said that after the Christmas holiday, a lot of students come back malnourished because they aren't getting the free meals at school for those two weeks and their parents can't afford to feed them. So sometimes the kids even faint in class. Well, the woman from our church just could not get that out of her head. The way she put it to me, she said, the hound of heaven was on my tail. I just love that, right? Sounds like a country western song, right? Oh, the hound of heaven was on my tail, right? Love it. I really do like country music, by the way. Well, I sort of sensed a great sermon illustration coming, so I moved in for the kill and asked her to write her story out. And this is what she wrote. She said, When my sister-in-law described kindergartners fainting from hunger, it broke my heart. It was three weeks before Christmas. I had gifts to buy for my grandchildren, holiday parties to attend, decorations, baking, plus the end of the year is the busiest time in my industry. I told God all of this. I love that. Yet the more the pile of gifts grew under my own tree, the more the hound of heaven reminded me that we are called to be his hands in a needy world. I argued back. This is impossible. It was now two weeks until Christmas, but I kept waking up in the middle of the night with those children before me. Finally, I said, okay, God, I'll do my part if you do yours. I tried unsuccessfully to find a charity through which to process funds. No one could get approval on such short notice. So in two weeks, we formed a nonprofit organization I sent an email to 300 of my closest friends, and we raised over $25,000, and then anonymously mailed grocery gift cards to over 350 families. 
And each envelope contained a note saying, this gift comes with a reminder that God loves you, he cares about you, and you are special in his sight. Last spring, my husband arrived at work to discover that our office had been turned into a storage facility for children's clothes and toys. We borrowed a truck, and my husband drove over the mountains with a mother load of gifts and clothing. This is hard work on top of everything else in my life. But when I think of those children just as precious in God's eyes as my own grandchildren, how can I do any less? And as this woman was talking to me, she she couldn't hold back the tears. But to me, they didn't exactly look like tears of sadness. To me, they looked like tears from a woman whose heart has broken for the things that break God's heart but also has found the joy of being part of his solution to the pain in the world. And because she responded to the Holy Spirit, hundreds of kids' lives are now being changed. There is no greater joy than partnering with Jesus in redeeming this world. And you don't have to go out and form a non-profit corporation to do that. Actually, we've taken care of that for you at the Jubilee Reach Center. Already done it. Serving your needs, see? And all of us can be a part of the Ripple Effect campaign. And what I want you to hear out of all everything I've said about the ripple effect, if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. This is not an obligation. It is not about guilt and I should and I ought. It is not an obligation. It is an invitation from our gracious God. You know, one of the reasons I didn't want to do a capital campaign was I had this image that what it meant was I'd have to go up to people in the narthex and sort of twist their arms behind their back, right? Like bullies used to do on the playground. It's like, how much are you going to give to the campaign? That's not enough. More, 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 right? Until you all cried, uncle. That just didn't seem very pastoral to me. Go figure. When the elders and I began to realize that this could be something that changes us, and it meant that we could partner with God in healing our world, it became a lot more exciting. Last year when we were in Rwanda, a couple of people from our team went to visit an orphanage. And one room was filled with all these babies whose parents had either died or had left them at the orphanage because they couldn't afford to feed them. And there were so many babies, the staff was just overwhelmed and couldn't get to all the needs. And the babies just laid there without crying. But when they heard the sound of an adult voice in the room, they would hold up their arms, just hoping that someone was going to pick them up. That's how desperate they were for human touch. The people who went said it was heartbreaking to see all of these babies with their arms up in the air just hoping that someone was going to pick them up. Now, in that moment, what would be the one thing that you would want to do more than anything else in the world? In that moment, what would be the one thing that would give you the most joy? Wouldn't it be to pick up one of those babies? And that's what they did. They started scooping up as many babies as they could. And every time they picked one baby up, the, other, the baby would just start to smile. And so would our team member because it gave them joy. Maybe not happiness, you know, the kind of happiness that comes from getting everything you want, when you want it, and being comfortable. Maybe not happiness, but something deeper, something that lasts longer. It's the joy that comes from having our hearts break for the things that break God's heart, but then getting to be part of God's solution to all the pain in our world. And isn't that picture of those babies with their arms in the air, isn't that all of God's children in one way or the other? Whether we're nine months old or 99 years old, aren't all of us holding our hands up in some way and saying, is anyone out there or are we alone on this planet? Did someone create us or are we just a bunch of biological goo that happened to come together in a certain way? Is there a point to all of this or are we just lost in a cosmic void? And in that moment when we ask that question, whether it's the nine-year-old girl in Medina thinking she needs to go on a diet and lose some weight because that's what our culture tells her will make her valuable, 
or the family that's working hard to get out of poverty, or the kid in Rwanda who wants to live a whole life but can't because he's got to turn tricks on the streets of Kigali just to eat, or whether it's us sitting in the pews wondering if there isn't more to life than consuming and racking up one more line on the resume. Whenever we ask that question, in any way, shape, or form, God's heart breaks, and he becomes passionate, passionate to let us know he's there, passionate to push back the margins of evil in our world, and passionate that we join him in this great adventure of binding up what Satan has torn apart. And next Sunday, we're all going to get an opportunity to do that. Next Sunday, we'll turn in our pledge card saying what we commit to give over the next three years, over and above what we give to the operating budget to touch these children. And it's going to take, some, it's going to take all of us, and it's going to take some sacrificial gifts. We're going to need three-figure commitments and four-figure commitments, and from those of us who are able, five- and six- and seven-figure commitments. And everyone's gift is needed, no matter the amount. Everyone's gift, it's not about equal gifts. It's about equal engagement. It's like in a race. Everyone gets a lane in a race. We're all in different financial lanes, but if we all run our lane to the best of our ability, God is going to do a miracle. And the best part is we get to be a part of that. And that's the bottom line. It's an invitation. It's not a have to, it's a get to. We need to do this campaign, not just because we need the building or the kids need the services that we're going to provide. All of that's true, but we also need to do this campaign for us so that we can know the joy of being God's business partner and God's business is reversing the effects of the fall. And God doesn't want us to miss out on any of the fun. You know, every kid who plays a sport wants to get in the game. The game is harder, but it's way more rewarding, way more fun than just watching it. And every kid who has ever warmed a bench knows the thrill of hearing the coach say, I'm putting you in the game. Get off the bench. And I believe that's what God says to every one of us. You don't have to sit this one out. I'm putting you in the game. And he wants us to be a part of the miracle that he's going to do. So that when the pictures come back from Rwanda and we see kids who used to be on the streets in danger of death now live in whole lives and in productive jobs, God wants us to have the joy of being able to say, I was there. I'm a part of that miracle. When children in our own youth programs show their friends who Jesus is, and when they grow up and take on positions of leadership in the church and business and industry and make a difference for Christ, God wants us to have the joy of being able to say, I was there. I'm a part of that miracle. When we hear testimonies from families who are being lifted out of poverty by the Jubilee Reach Center, some of them coming to know Christ because of it, God wants us to have the joy of being able to say, I was there. I'm a part of that miracle. And then those kids will influence other kids and they'll influence parents and all kinds of people and we'll have more ripples than we could ever count. And God wants us to have the joy of being able to say, I was there. I'm a part of that miracle. I sacrificed so it could happen and don't it feel grand? Don't it feel grand? So many children with their arms up in the air in one way or another, just hoping that someone's going to pick them up. And we can't help them all, but we can help some. And when we do, the people we help the most is ourselves. Because we get to be a part of the miracle that God is doing in our world and know that our lives have made an eternal difference. What a privilege. So I'll see you next week, and we'll watch the miracle begin together. Jesus, please help us to do exactly what you want us to do in relationship to this campaign and everything else. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts so that we can know the joy of being in business with you in reversing the effects of the fall. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.